Good afternoon. Good Friday afternoon. Heading into the Labor Day long weekend. Hopefully, you get to go out and enjoy it. Sort of, although the weather. Greg Mackling. What kind of bites today? Yeah. Can I say that? You just did. Bites today. Yeah, I think that represents what most people are probably thinking as they look out the window and see clouds and. Well, it doesn't look like it's raining right now, but certainly not an ideal start to the weekend. But hey, it's a long weekend, so hopefully you can get out and enjoy it. The weather should turn around as we get through, like, yeah, tomorrow, mainly sunny in 27. And mix of sun and cloud on Sunday, high 24. That looks nice. Yeah, it'll be fine. You know what? We've had such an incredible summer. David Phillips, Environment Canada, calling it the best summer in the country. And we kind of boast about that to our friends that live elsewhere. I always say... And I know I toot the horn of the Okanagan far too often on this program, but I always say that outside of the Okanagan, we do have the best summers in the country. And we, from time to right time, here. yeah, and from time to time, ours are better. And, and certainly when you're in the middle of a forest fire situation like they've been in British Columbia all summer, Lake Okanagan or Okanagan Lake had flooded in the spring. They, they've had a very hot summer, but... Lots of trepidation, lots of uh, serious things to deal with out there. We've had a pretty awesome summer here. We know agriculture is going well. Forest fire situation in the north, which, of course, is now leading to evacuations. We'll keep our eye on that situation as we make our way through the afternoon and into the evening as well. Big news story in the city of Winnipeg right now is uh, at least 3,700 people are either here or on their way, way here to Winnipeg or to Brandon. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So we'll keep an eye on all of that. And later on this afternoon at 3.30, we are super excited about this. No kidding. Scott Thompson from the Kids in the Hall. He is in town tonight for a show at the Park Theatre, so he is going to step in and have a seat with us for a half hour. So that is going to be cool. And also, it's our regular weekly visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen at 2.30, clinical psychologist, and we're going to talk about This Is Your Brain on First Grade. So that's interesting. I mean, hey, kids are going back to school, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. Yeah, you know, uh, shopping for school supplies, it's a big deal, right? And uh, it's costly. It's an investment for some families. I know some schools have gone to the send us a check for 60 bucks. And everything's taken care of. Really? There are some schools where they've really backed off on some of the supplies that you're required to buy. I think it was grade three where we got kind of a list at the beginning of the year for the first part of the year. And then we got another list after Christmas time because the teacher knew that they weren't going to be using all the supplies. So... You've been down that road, right? Buying something that you didn't need until January or February, and you haven't used it. Mm-hmm. And then you go, you pull it out of your desk or your locker, and it looks like you've been using it every day. It's all beaten up or broken. I'm thinking of the good old geometry set <laughs> that you never, ever seemed to need, but you had to buy one every single year. Yep. Yeah. I uh, Yeah, those geometry sets, they would get used for maybe a couple of days. We do a unit on geometry unit. and math. I was trying to think of the name and you just pulled it out of the air. Yes, <laughs> unit. We do a, a unit for a couple of days on geometry. So you'd have to pull out the protractor. And as uh, Jeff Braun uh, capably put it, uh, uh, you got to pay two bucks for half a circle. I don't even know what that thing is called. <laughs> I think that's the protractor. Is that what the protractor that's is? The well, what's the, 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 that's the, the compass. 
The, the needle thing? Yeah, that's the compass. Oh, you okay. put that short little stubby little pencil in. Yeah. Yeah, that you can never keep sharp. And then, you know, the screw would inevitably not kind of screw in properly. And and so if your pencil wasn't exactly straight up and down, that arc that you were trying to mark on the on the different angles wouldn't go exactly correctly. Oh, yeah, it could be an a, unmitigated disaster. And, of course, the compass was pointy on the one end and poke a hole in your paper and poke your neighbor with it. Like just bad, like really lethal weapons yeah. being entrusted to uh, grade four, five, and six students is not a good idea. Well, you're, are they cheaper now than they were? I think just about everything is. Like you can go and you can buy two hundred sheets of loose leaf for like a buck. I can remember paying three, four dollars for that. Uh, scribblers are like. 10 cents if you get them on sale, 25, 50 cents. Those, you know, the Hillroy scribblers? Yeah. Yeah, you used to pay, like, back in my day when I was a kid, probably 50 cents a piece for those things. Jeez. Yeah, they've gotten really inexpensive. I want to give, can I give two shouts out? Of course. First one is to uh, Staples for their incredible commercial. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's that time of year again. Of course, the parents are dancing down the aisles and the kids are moping because, yeah, it's time to go back to school, kids. We've had enough of you now. It's time for you to go to that place that you go five days a week and seven day, seven hours a day. So uh, I want to give a shout out to Staples for really exhibiting how a lot of parents, I don't care how much you love your kids, you are ready for them to go back to school. Right about now, September 1st. And a shout out to Dollarama. Dollarama. I went to Dollarama with the boys last night, and they have some amazing stuff. Uh, the pencil crayons and markers and stuff for organizing your locker, Sharpies, all that stuff. Really, really good, really good prices. It's not all a dollar, which is a topic of conversation for another day. <laughs> So they just round it off to a certain dollar. That makes it dollarama. Sure, is like a dollar or two dollars or three dollars? Yeah, some four or five dollar stuff yeah. there now too. They're blurring the line on the whole dollarama thing. Anyway, we can talk about that later. Uh, but it's uh, one of those things that uh, I was really impressed yesterday. Those stores have come an awful long way in terms of the stuff that they offer. But it really smacks smacked me in the face when you think about was it the Laurentian brand? Pencil crayons, those were the good ones, right? Yep. That's how like that's how you knew what side of the tracks you were from. <laughs> if you had the Laurentian ones. Really? Yeah, your mom and dad were doing okay, right? If you had the other ones, whichever name where the color didn't even barely even make it onto the paper from the pencil crayon, you know, there was some some serious economic disparity going on in the classroom, depending on what pencil crayons you had. And if you had that Crayola, the 64 box oh boy. with the built-in sharpener, yeah. you were the king. I never you had. You were the king or the queen of your classroom. There were only one or two kids in the classroom that had those going up. I always wanted one, but I never got one. Mm-mm. What'd you get? The, like the 12? Just a uh, yeah, the basic, uh, I think I still had a, a decent size pack of crayons, but uh, there are pencil crayons, but not that one. Yeah, the Crayola 64 pack where you could had like you had all the skin tones mm-hmm. representing all the that nations was crayons, of the world. right? Not yeah, pencil crayons. crayons. Yeah, okay. pencil crayons, I think. Oh, you there did have that double pack. Yeah, I had the double pack of pencil crayons. Yeah, I think I only got like the eight. Like oh, really? the basic colors, right? Oh, no, the I red, always had the double pack. They got the light blue, the dark blue, the black, the gray, the tan, the brown, and the white. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was it. So you got like extra stuff. Yeah, the dual. I can't remember how many crayons were in the dual. Your pack. parents loved you. <laughs> My parents didn't like me very much, apparently. <laughs> well, there, there are always always the supplies too that you you don't need. I remember. You remember duo tangs? Is that what they're called? Those are those like those little folders that have the the kind of prongs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the duo tang. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I always hated duo tangs. <laughs> Yeah, the, or report cover, if you wanted to be a little bit more stingy about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you have a piece of video that you wanted to, or a piece of audio here. Oh, I can play the video. Nobody's going to see it. But I do have the uh, audio from the video. And this is a, <laughs> it turns out this woman is a stand-up comedian, but she's a mom as well. Her name is Dina Blizzard, and she's lit up Facebook with her video shopping for school surpri- uh, supplies. She pulls no punches. She's kind of hammering on people who are complaining about the specialty supplies that parents are being asked to purchase. She says it's a PSA to all the parents out there that complain about buying their kids those specific supplies. And if the teacher wants a yellow binder, buy your kids a yellow binder. Here's her rationale. It's back to school time. I've been noticing lately when people are doing their back to school shopping, everybody's complaining. Listen, it is the end of August. I will give you anything to take my kids. I'll get you a yellow binder. I'll get you a red binder. You take these kids out of my house. I'll get you whatever you want. Oh, you know what? You want a microwave? I'll get you a microwave. I'll get you a microwave. You put it on the list. I'm going to put a microwave in here. There's a teacher somewhere that could use a There's a lady somewhere willing to teach my daughter about some history, and she wants a yellow binder to do it. I'm going to get that yellow binder. These teachers have been making plans to teach your kids, and you're all complaining about some pencil? Some pencils? Are you kidding me? Do you know how much I would pay them just to get my kids out of my face? You can put whatever you want on that list. All you people saying, I'm not going to pick up any Kleenex for the class. You can't. You can't give that teacher a Kleenex. You want some super glue? I'll get you some super glue. I'll get you as much super glue as you want because you're going to teach my kids. And guess what that means? I don't have to teach my kids. All you parents going on, I'm spending so much money. Oh yeah, guess what? You don't think those teachers are spending money? They are gonna spend nine hours a day. They're not even allowed to hit your kids. You hear what I'm saying? They're gonna be with your kids every day, teaching your kids. What is wrong with people? These teachers have to put up with your kids for an entire year. And all you guys gotta say, I don't wanna buy the pencils. Buy the pencils. Mm-hmm. I'll get you some pencils. I'll get you pencil sharpener. I'll get you whatever you want because this is ridiculous. When the teacher says send in some pencils in August. So grateful to have her children gone from the house. She starts buying rugs. She starts buying kitchen appliances (laughs) for the teachers. Whatever you want, I will be glad to buy it. Just essentially so thankful for having someone to take her kids off of her hands for nine months out of every year. So we want to know from you at 204-780-6868. We want to hear uh, a couple of things, actually. Your weirdest school supplies that you remember. And once you start thinking about it, you're gonna your memory is going to jog rather quickly. I started to think of all sorts of things. I remember I had a, a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe pencil case uh, that I used for years. My crayons and pencil crayons were in that for years. Well, uh, you did it with duo tanks. I totally forgot about duo tanks. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the weirdest school supplies. Also, did you look forward to school shopping? Because I was always uh, of two thoughts on that. I hated seeing anything back to school. 
because they would always start talking about back to school in like mid July. Like we just got off school. Can't you give us a few weeks before I have to start thinking about it? But and I would hate going. Like we got to go school shopping. I don't want to go school shopping. But once I was there, I'd be excited looking at all the binders and stuff. Ooh, this has Velcro on it. 204-780-6868. What are your thoughts on the weirdest school supplies and did you look forward to school shopping even though you probably hated it? You also maybe loved it. And am I observing this correctly? Are they inexpensive or, let's put it this way, is the pricing the same now as it was like 20, 30 years ago? It feels like some of the stuff is actually less expensive in real dollars. And do you recycle the stuff? Do you upcycle it? Like, you know, do you force your kid to use the the geometry set as the example, uh, you know, from the previous year, as opposed to buying them a new one every single year? Uh, th- there, there was always an inspection in my house. Oh, yeah, this is good enough. Yeah. This is good enough. I'm pretty sure I had the same geometry set all the way through. I don't think I ever had to get a new one. With the metal tin? Yep. Good old metal tin. Yeah, the metal tin. (laughs) 204-780-6868. You can send us a text. Give us a call. Uh, We have a few minutes after weather to uh, talk about back-to-school supplies. The kids are still around, uh, but we want to know your take on school supplies. And uh, what were your favorite ones? What were the weirdest ones as we head into this Labor Day long weekend? Duo tangs. (laughs) How did you pull that one? Uh, Because I used to hate them. I don't know. I just, I don't know why I didn't like duo tanks. I just, I did not like duo tanks. I think partly because they so rarely got used. As years went on, maybe when we were younger, like in the early elementary, and I think we used them more then, but as we went on, we always had to buy them, but then we never ended up using them. Did you ever like do the big binder with the dividers? All your subjects in the one big binder and oh, then yeah. the color dividers. The big three-inch uh, rings. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, and they then, had the, the, they, they, when they opened and closed, it was like a thunderclap. <laughs> we all did it wrong, though, right? We would pull on the, on the rings to open them. You were supposed to use the little depressors, right? Yep. And that dramatically reduced the lifespan of your, ba- of your binder if you didn't open it. Yeah, because they would, they would end up kind of inter- misaligned. misaligned and there'd be this sort of weird interlock as opposed to uh, just a normal lock. And then the binder would be trash and the pa- pages would get stuck in it. And you go, you'd think to yourself, why didn't I just open this the way I'm supposed to open this? It was too late by then. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, this is at 7806868. I think the worst school supplies were the erasers and markers that smelt like food. Wonder how many people like myself were forced to eat eraser because it smelled so good just before lunch. Yeah. One of the texters here as well says, uh, <laughs> we were talking about the 64 pack of Crayola crayons. And he says, this texture says, and I shouldn't say he because I don't know if it's a he or a she. This person says, Brett never got the 64-pack. He always ate most of them. And in reply, I said, well, I I did used to like eating Play-Doh. (laughs) Play-Doh? Yeah. Okay. And I remember uh, in in daycare, which was at the Y, I used to eat Play-Doh. So. Okay. So how about this? (laughs) True confession time. Okay. The vacuum of honesty that is the microphone in this studio, especially on Mackling and McGarry, would you ever just like... um, Open your Elmer's, your white glue, yep. and then just like spread out like a little circle, maybe a dime size, and then let it dry, and then eat that? No. No, I never yeah. ate the glue. Yeah, there's a couple of us. That, that was kind of our little thing. So you would let it dry and then eat it? Yeah, because so, it got a little crispy, right? For, for, it would dehydrate or whatever, right? Did it taste good? 
No. Was it just a dare? The texture thing or whatever, something to do. Okay. School was boring most of the time, let's be honest. I once had a classmate who crushed up, you know, those rockets, the Halloween candy, the rockets? Yeah. He crushed those up like cocaine and snorted a line of them. <laughs> Where's he now? <laughs> I think he's in the Navy, actually. Oh, okay. Pink Eraser, Pink Eraser, uh, what's Don say? <laughs> Binders, here's a word. You have to be a certain age to know this word. Reinforcements. Are those those little white things that you would put on the three, the loose leaf three holes? <laughs> when you accidentally ripped it out? Oh, my God. Or they were getting a little bit strained, so they were the, those sticker circles, yeah. right, that yeah. would reinforce. Very good, Don. You win. Reinforcements just moved ahead of duo tangs as the oddest school supplies we used to have. Bravo. Keep those coming, <laughs> 780-6868. Chuck says when my kids were in school, the teachers would collect what was on your list that you brought, and the reason given was that they asked for more than is necessary for your child to make sure everyone had supplies, even those who couldn't or wouldn't provide for their kids. And you had to give it all to the teacher, and he or she would dole the supplies only as required, even to your child. And you never would get any supplies back at the end of the year either. This only happened for a couple of years. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I you know, uh, I'm a, an entrepreneur, but there are some aspects of socialism that I like. I like that. Yeah. You know, because that's why I think I mentioned, I don't know if I said it on the air, this is why we try not to talk too much about things before we come on the air, because you don't remember if you're repeating yourself from the newsroom or on air. But I think that there are some schools now that where they like you to send in a check, and then that way everybody has the same pencil crayons, has the same pencils, same pens. So there's none of that economic disparity at play in terms of the classroom, right? Like My kids wear uniforms school. So okay. we don't have to worry about them having the latest, greatest blue jeans or T-shirts or anything like that. Like, they wear the same thing to school every day except for about 12 days of the year. Oh, wow. Where they have color day. So we just have to worry about keeping up on the uh, on the shoe, on the shoe front. How many, uh, how many copies of the uniform? How many oh, outfits? Oh, gosh, we buy as many as we okay. can. Like, there'll be people from the year. I think we just bought, like, 13 hand-me-down <laughs> shirts, okay. and they're white. They just get Javexed and washed and worn, and, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great system. Demand that at your school. Well, we have a phone call. We'll just quickly take John at 204-780-6868. Hey, John, what do you have to say about weird school supplies? Hey, guys, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Excellent. Uh, you must hear that all the time. Anyways, um, those little... Uh, white reinforcement things for your loose leaf that you have to put in the binder. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, we just talked about that. Oh, did you? Okay. Well, I'm sorry, John. Sorry, John. No, that's okay. See, okay. so those so, are those so, are unique ones. What about what else have you got before we let you go? The white glue. Yes. Never let it dry. I drink it out of the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> True confessions on Mackling yeah. and McGarry. One more time. Um, I uh, was brought up in the 70s, and we had this open area uh, classroom stuff. Yep. And they had dividers between the rooms, so mm. you could hear what the teacher was saying, right? And you'd walk by one of the classes, and you'd see somebody, you know how you lean back on your chair on the two legs? Continually, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, we would um, drop kick. <laughs> The wall on the other side. Oh, John, you mischievous <laughs> soul, you. 
It was the seventies, dude. <laughs> John, we gotta let you go. Thanks for the call. Glad to hear the glue didn't paste up your throat. Oh uh, yeah. After Global News at 130, we're gonna talk about La Burger Week, which has returned to Winnipeg. Okay, so there is one week that's better than back to school week. The Burger Week. <laughs> Le Burger Week. Le Burger Week. I'm so French. Yeah. I, I figured uh, more of your uh, French enunciation pronunciation would rub off on me over the last year. Hasn't happened. Well, it, it only comes out once in a every few weeks. Yeah, so. fair enough. Yeah. But, you know, behind the scenes, I figured it would uh, a little bit more. Okay, Daniel, uh, I met you outside, but I didn't get the proper pronunciation of your name. Is it Gurevich? Gurevich, you got it, my hey, friend. Right Daniel Gurevich. He's Winnipeg ambassador for Le Burger Week, and we're going to talk about Le Burger Week in just a couple moments here. We've been inundated with text messages on people's memories of their favorite and weirdest school supplies, and we wanted to read some of that, and I want you to think about some of your favorites. I already know my before, favorite right well, now. Give it to us now. Well, it's the duotang, my friends. Come on. <laughs> Who doesn't love a duotang? First of all, it's like the best word to say, and you know, you and you get to fold down those little metal clips and you put stuff in there. I mean, it was frustrating as heck, but at the same time, you know, good times. You, you know, you're right. It is a pleasant word to say. Duo tag. Yeah. You guys are kind of kindred spirits on that front. <laughs> the duo tag friends. Isn't that nice? Uh, the duo tang dudes. How's that? I, I like, like that. it a lot. Like that. Yeah. Uh, there is one text here from somebody last half hour who said, we had to buy a calligraphy set one oh, year. Calli- what? Yes. What era is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even in, yeah, even in the 70s. Yes. Calligraphy really? set. I liked those little geometry sets, although I don't think I ever used them for their actual purpose. I think I probably just poked people with that little protractor and whatnot, you know. But, now uh, Ryan yeah. is on the same page as I am. We're a good group right now. <laughs> Here's one I think that comes from a little bit later uh, in the last probably decade and a half or so. Trapper Keepers. Trapper Keepers. Did they was... have those? Is that after your time in high school? I can't remember. They had similar. I know that I was a huge fan of the Hillroy Note Tote. Oh, yeah. But Mead also had, uh, they had some products. And it might have been, I don't, I can't remember if Trapper Keeper was Mead or if I'm thinking of something else. But they're all basically any of those binders that had all the dividers and pockets and all that crap. I love those things, man. Well, then the Ferrari of binders, the five star when that came out, right? They, uh, I remember that was just insane. It was like kids were like willing to, you know, sell a kidney just to get a five star binder back in the day. Oh yeah, like they were a valuable uh, proposition because I'm I'm the oldest of five, so I have much (laughs) younger siblings, and I I know about the conversations about those Uh, reinforcements came up. John mentioned them on the phone. We had a text. In my day, reinforcements weren't even stickers. You had to lick the back to wet the glue, kind of like a stamp. I don't know if I remember that. Maybe I, I did, but I thought mine were on a wax paper, but I, I could be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure the reinforcements I used were stickers. What do you? What about you? I think I, I was in the sticker generation as well. Something else is popping up to me right now is those little... Uh, the, the pen holders. It was like a little cushion for your fingers on the pen, if you remember, and you used to slide them onto a pen. It was like a little yeah. foam pen holder. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. And you could, uh, yeah, and I would just sit there and play with those things all day long. Too. Well, we used to get these cool pens uh, back in grade two, grade three, when we were learning how to do cursive, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what that was your reward, was when you passed your cursive. Oh, nice. It was kind of a teardrop sort of shape. It had a really long stem on it. It was fat at the bottom, narrow at the top. I'd do 
anything to get my hands that's on like one the, of those that's pens like again. That's the essential teacher's pen, though, yeah, right? It's the yeah. teacher's pen. That's like, that is. And you then got it, Daniel. on the pen front, too, the, the blue with the multiple colors, too. Oh, that's classic. I always wanted one of those, and I never had one. <laughs> no, weren't allowed? I don't know why. I, never, I don't know if, I think it might have just been one, one of those things where I never asked for it. That was the precursor to the multi-head screwdriver. It really was then engineering, you know, it was, it was, it was a, a phenomenal, I'm pretty sure, Because right? you had the black, the red, and the green, green sometimes. I think there was black, red, green, blue. Oh, and the blue. Yeah, and well, the blue, too. Yeah, well, of course the over. blue. Yeah. Uh, one more, and then we'll, we'll uh, talk about uh, good old uh, Le Burger Week, and we'll talk a little bit more. <laughs> I can't believe how this has taken off. School <laughs> supplies. I used to pour glue in the pencil holder groove. You remember the pencil holder groove on your desk? Oh, yeah. Right? And on the top of the desk, let it dry, cut four-inch lengths. Sounds very specific, because, you know, what else did you use your ruler for? Mm-hmm. And glue them on my fingernails to scare the girls. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. So are we, are we moving on then for, yeah, to for burgers? now at least. Okay. All right. So La Burger Week. This is uh, something that has returned to Winnipeg. It's actually a national event, but here in Winnipeg, there are many participants, and this is an event that grows every year. And Daniel Gurevich, our guest, is actually the Winnipeg ambassador for La Burger Week. So before we talk about how uh, how it began and and uh, the history of this event. How does one become the Winnipeg ambassador for Le Burger Week? Well, it's an intense process. Uh, you have to go through very many judges, burger competitions. No, I'm just kidding, actually. So basically what <laughs> happened is that, uh, you know, I run a lifestyle blog here in the city called Charcoal Collaborative, uh, me alongside my sister and my brother-in-law. Um, and, you know, we've always been focused on food-related events. It's, uh, you know, we grew up in the hospitality industry and something that we know and love. So, you know, the national organizers from Montreal, they contacted us, asked us if we wanted to uh, be a part of bringing it here to Winnipeg. And and we said, of course, you know, it just seemed like a no-brainer. And turns out it was a pretty good decision back in 2013 to do that. So, yeah, it's been great. Well, you know, Brett and I really like to highlight the local things that are going on, right? Local suppliers, sure. uh, breweries and restaurants and uh, little shops that, mm-hmm. are, uh, that are localizing the economy. And so this is obviously... An initiative that's North America wide. Well, it's worldwide, right? Yeah, well, to a we, certain extent, we've right? got. Well, yeah, we're starting to enter into some new markets now, so we're seeing uh, a couple cities in the states participating in the the. And then we also have Haiti as well, actually, because that was something that got introduced uh, last year as a as a fundraising uh, event there too. So the connection with Montreal and Haiti, obviously, with the diaspora there. So it's yeah, it's been great. It's but been this is, this is really to highlight some of the great locally made crafted burgers, right? Yeah, well, that's been the greatest part about it, and you see these collaborations happening. So it's not only just local restaurants, but, you know, we've got uh, Fools and Horses at the Forks collaborating with New Burger at the Forks. They've got like a coffee-infused uh, barbecue sauce that they're doing for their burger. You've got companies like Smack, Dad, Mu- Smack Dab Mustard uh, doing uh, collaborations as well, I think, with Chibo this year. You've got King and Bannatine doing a collaboration again with Bro Nuts. Um, uh, I think you've got you know other specials going on in the city too. So I think Little Brown Jug is also doing a collaboration with an, with another restaurant. So yeah, you're bringing a lot of local businesses in 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 together and and uh, yeah, it's been it's been good supporting each other. So now you mentioned Montreal, so mm-hmm. that's where this began, right? In Correct. 2012. Yeah, 2012 started in Montreal, then we brought it to Winnipeg in 2013. So do you, so do you know what what does what led to the inception of this? Like what led these guys to to launch Le Burger Week? You know, they just were kind of looking for a way to get into that uh, culinary competition scene and. I, I, you know, use competition lightly. It's a friendly competition, I'll say. But uh, and burgers were just a bit of an obvious choice. It's uh, one of those ways that it's one of those things that I think a lot of restaurants can get behind. It's it's uh, fairly 
easy, you know, in the sense of you just need a couple buns and a patty and you can figure it out from there. But it's also, you know, it's a very versatile, um, uh, versatile medium, I guess I'll say at the end of the day, you know, you can do so much with a burger and, and the definition of burger is pretty loose at the end of the day too, right? You can get uh, fish burgers, chicken burgers, beef burgers, all sorts. So I, you know, I think it, it, it was a good idea. Yeah. Somebody just said uh, Promenade Cafe had an amazing elk burger with a bacon jam and chili aioli yeah, on a toasted pretzel bun. Uh, and then we got another text message. You know, this this seems like it's getting too big now. Sometimes you can maybe be a victim of your own success mm-hmm. and people see it as uh, maybe being a, a little bit too commercialized. What do you say to people who say, you know, 103 restaurants, yeah. that's crazy. Well, I think uh, I appreciate that feedback. And I think what happened, you know, this year especially is we, uh, we had more of a response than we expected, I'll say. So, you know, every single year that we do this, we need to constantly reevaluate what's going on, how many restaurants participating, what the value is how the consumers are feeling about everything. So what we'll do is, you know, after this year is all wrapped up, we're going to take everybody's feedback, comments into consideration and see what the best way is to move forward with the event. So, yeah, that's a, it's a good point. You know, you got to make sure you're not uh, oversaturating the market at the end of the day, right? How busy can we expect these restaurants to be? Uh, pretty darn busy. You know, when I look at some of the numbers of, uh, I mean, it depends on what, you know, where they are, what kind of restaurant they are at the end of the day. But uh I remember New Burger, I think, was doing up to 900 burgers in a day. We see people prepping enough for what they think is going to last them the week, and they end up running out in a couple hours. Um, I remember oh, my Ch- God. I remember Chew last year. They uh, they thought they might do, you know, a couple hundred throughout the week, and they did a couple hundred in three hours and were just, you know, slammed. So uh, I just saw a post from uh, Boucher Boucher down in uh, St. Boniface there. They said they're already packed. You know, said they, they said they still hope they have enough left for the dinner time, and, and we're on day Isn't one. Isn't that so, something? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, the prep charts, right? Or uh, that's that's a big deal when you're a fresh food restaurant, yeah, right? Yeah, chefs you, are cursing my name right now. Yeah, well, I'm sure they are. Hey, why don't we take a little bit of a pause? We'll update the weather forecast, such as it is, at least for today, looking pretty good for at least Saturday and Sunday. We don't have Mondays yet. And uh, we'll uh, throw in a couple more of your uh, favorite uh, slash weird school supplies. We had this on the list. We hadn't mentioned it yet, Brett. Pastels, Ooh, yep. those oil pastels, and a scientific calculator. All I used it for was manipulate the numbers to say hello and you know what other word, <laughs> B-O-O-B-S. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, send us, I also want to hear some texts as far as uh, restaurants where you go to get, uh, like what's your favorite restaurant to go get a burger, a place that you traditionally wouldn't think of as a burger joint. Not like the places like the White Top. I mean, that was recently named the best burger joint in the city or the burger place. Not like your traditional burger places, but a restaurant where you go to get a burger that you wouldn't normally think of as a burger place. So you can send us those ideas as well at 204-780-6868. Daniel Gurevich is our guest. He is the Winnipeg Ambassador for the Burger Week. And we will continue our chat after your forecast up next. Was it full scap or fool scap? Scrap. I don't remember. It was full scap. Full scap, yeah. yeah. Maybe it was a combination of the two. Uh, I think it's Steve texting in to say, I had to borrow a piece of full scap and a pencil from the teacher. Worked fine for about a month. <laughs> We're talking about burgers. <laughs> We're working a little conversation about your favorite weirdest school supplies as we make our way through the first hour of the last show of the week. First of September, Mackling McGarry. Daniel Gurevich is our guest. He is the Winnipeg Ambassador for Le Burger Week, which starts today. And how long does it go for? It's going for the week, so September 1st to September 7th.
restaurants. And you, it is 103 restaurants that are involved, Yeah, we've right? got 103 restaurants involved. So for a full list of participants, you can head to my website, charcoalcollaborative.com. You can also head to uh, leburgerweek.com. That's where you're going to do all the voting as well online. So, uh, you know, you got to make sure you got to go show the love for the ones that you're enjoying the most throughout the week as well. And you can find all the details, descriptions, prices. Uh, we even have a nice little interactive map feature that we created on Charcoal Collaborative. So if you just go hit a link and it'll... Uh, Go click on a burger. It'll show you where it is in the city and can plan out your burger tour. Are we uh, are we eating burgers next week, Brett? We're actually, yeah, I think Silver Heights is going to pay us a visit. Uh, Kevin Bergen from The Main Ingredient, which airs uh, weekends on 680 CJOB, he mm-hmm. uh, was able to line up uh, a visit from Silver Heights, so they're coming on Tuesday. Perfect. Yeah, those guys are fantastic. I think second year that they're in the competition now, so we're pumped on that. And, yeah, you can actually also gift a friend a burger this year too. So you uh, just go online, actually, see at com, and there's a gift a friend a burger option. So you have some participating restaurants, and uh, for an extra buck, you basically uh, gift a friend a burger, get it delivered to their door, and they just get a little email that they show, and it's a voucher that, that they pick up. So oh, you guys are really uh, going all out on well, this. Well, yeah, we've got a sponsorship with Skip the Dishes and, uh, and Just Eat this year, so they've been fantastic and you know it's all about accessibility at the end of the day just trying to get uh, you know people that can't make it out of the house people that are busy people with kids you know want to make sure that they get to participate as well so just if you're out and about speaking of getting out and about and getting things out traffic tip for you lights are out at Sherbrooke and Cumberland signal crews are on site but that could obviously cause some problem be aware of that that's uh, Sherbrooke at Cumberland Brett so the the categories you mentioned that there the, you can uh, sort of vote on the burgers in different ways what are the categories that you can choose from i gotta go check online again i want to make sure that they are i mean last year we had the healthiest we had the most creative and then just the overall winner as well uh, and i don't know if they added any new ones this year so i'm gonna go uh, i gotta go go look into that this year as well and see what they're doing for the categories yeah we got a phone call here from ken at 204-780-6868 let's roll the dice and see what ken's calling about hey mm-hmm. ken what do you have ken Hello. are you there hi yes, go- Go ahead, Hello. Ken. Go ahead. Speak. Sorry about my cell phone. I just heard your uh, your show there. Uh, there's a, a restaurant on uh, McPhillips, just north of Mount, uh, Mountain. Uh, the hotel, the Four Crowns, I think, restaurant serves a casino burger. What is it called? Casino burger. A casino burger, like a like a gambling casino. No, oh, T is in Tom. Casino. Okay. Tus- okay. Like, uh, it's a Filipino uh, pork uh, casino, but they serve it as a burger. Oh, nice. Oh, that sounds neat. What's the it, name of the place, Ken? Do you know? Uh, they converted that. Uh, they redid that whole uh, hotel there. It's awesome. Um, Four Crowns, I think it's called. Well, Brett is magic on the uh, on the Google machine, so he'll check it out. Appreciate you uh, chiming in on the discussion, friend. I'll have to check that out. We'll uh, we'll uh, catch up to you later, Ken. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate that. And there is, uh, yeah, it's the Four Crowns Inn, Winnipeg Hotel Bar and Grill. It's at 1030 McPhillips. Hmm. Beautiful. I'm trying, yeah. to, I'm trying to picture that. I'm usually pretty good at that, uh, that Google map in my head, but uh, <laughs> we'll have to take a look at that uh, during uh, news and uh, weather at the top of the hour. So uh, it's, this is interactive. You've really made it interactive, Daniel, and I didn't even know about all the features that you've brought to it. And the fact that people get to vote, they, they really start to take some ownership over their favorite burger, right? Yeah, we want people to be involved. You know, it's all about, uh, obviously, the restaurants, uh, you know, having a good time and doing something creative and then obviously 
privacy, hopefully seeing some increased business throughout the week. And then for, you know, consumers, we just want everybody to be able to enjoy it as much as possible and, and be involved. And, and I think Winnipeggers have just uh, taken this competition to the level that it's at right now. You know, we can only do so much as organizers, but it's the uh, it's the love and support of all the, the fine folks in Winnipeg here that's really made it what it is. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, this one sounds like a good burger heading into the weekend, that mm. particularly the Labor Day Classic weekend. The Jolly Fryer Cafe at the Norwood Hotel has a, a blue and gold burger. Oh, nice. So I'm curious to know what's on that. And then somebody mentioned uh, the Thirsty Duck. I'm trying to picture that. That's kind of in my neck of the woods, too. I don't uh, even John- know where that is. Johnson & Watt, I think there's a strip mall there. Okay. And there's a Chinese restaurant in there, a bacon cheeseburger, and uh, the texter says it's uh, it's really good, you know, considering you're at a Chinese food restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, that same texter said uh, mechanical pencils with extra lead. So those were, those were kind of weird, too. <laughs> <laughs> the mechanical pencils, with is that the ones that you just clicked? You would click, but some of them, you had the extra leads would actually go in the body right. of the yeah, pencil and you yeah. could open it up. Backup and then, leads. Yeah, the backup leads, exactly. When Daniel. you're in grade six and you're writing novels, right? And you needed that backup <laughs> lead. You couldn't be bothered to go anywhere else for the lead, right? You would so, always open. snap. Did you open those up? You could. The eraser popped off the top and then you had the little... But the thing is, they were the most delicate leads in the entire universe, right? And you'd be sitting there as a kid, just not like the least nimble of fingers and breaking those things all over the place. So because was, I I, uh, <laughs> I feel rather foolish admitting this, but as Greg said, the vacuum of truth, I didn't know that you could <laughs> pop the eraser I, off. Well, I actually of think the idea, though, was is that you started to click and then it loaded the new lead in. Was that not the case? Or, yeah, I don't know. That would be a pretty tall pencil. I don't know. Maybe no, some I, of them. I think you had multiple leads and then once you ran out, you I could think click it, it around. I thought you clicked in it. Because I would always reload it, reload it by by trying to thread, thread it in through the top, <laughs> to the top. Well, that's, the... that's just a fun challenge, though. <laughs> and then half the time it would break. Hey, leave it to Jamie to bring it full circle. He says Four Crowns is the former Lincoln Hotel. So nice. thanks for that at 780-6868. That makes sense to me now. And apparently they have great breakfast as well. Uh, so we got about 30 seconds here. we got a break for Cottage Country Weather. Uh, Daniel Gurevich, Winnipeg Ambassador with Le Burger Week. Um, is a hundred? You've been doing this now for four years. Hundred and three, easily the, probably the most you've had. Yeah, this is the most we've had. You know, there's 400 participating restaurants across Canada, over 11 cities, and 100 of them are in Winnipeg. So that's, I think, a pretty great accomplishment, uh, just as Winnipeggers. And you know, we just see the competition growing. We've got, uh, yeah, we, we've we've really happy just with the way that people are getting behind it, and we really appreciate all the love and support. So it's been great. Well, we appreciate you coming to visit us today and telling us about it. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you guys. Really appreciate your time. Again, Thanks, what's your website? It's charcoalcollaborative.com and also leburgerweek.com. It starts today and it ends next week and we are going to check your Cottage Country forecast in a moment. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, 206 coming up on 206 on this Friday afternoon. Happy Labor Day weekend for you if you happen to be getting the long weekend. Brett and I will be here on Monday. Some of you will be working as well. So for everybody that frontline workers, service workers that have to work on the odd hours and those long weekends and on the weekend period. Thank you for doing that. It is a service uh, that we could not conduct our regular lives without. So uh, hats off to you. We like to do that uh, at least once a week to thank folks that work the odd shifts, the odd hours and are on the front lines, keeping us safe and keeping us supplied from everything from milk, diapers to beer and wine. And uh, thanks and keeping us entertained as well, right? I mean, there's so many people go out long weekends to do whatever. 
uh, whether it's the golf course or you just going it. out to the campground. Couldn't do that without people working those. So you got you. it, man. Really good point, Brett. Hey, uh, you read a story that I think is in our news run for the very first time. Yep. At two o'clock, it has to do with Churchill. Do you want to reread it? I know you just read it, but uh, it was in amongst a bunch of other stories. As thousands of people evacuate communities in northern Manitoba, our government is keeping an eye on another beleaguered northern town. Premier Brian Pallister shared today that the province has an investment package ready for Churchill worth around $500 million over the next decade. While details of the plan are still to be revealed, Pallister hopes this pushes Ottawa to get involved. We have been uh, working diligently and openly with the federal government to communicate our genuine concerns about the situation. We have written several letters. I have spoken personally to the Prime Minister. There has been only a small amount of progress to date, not a satisfactory amount of progress. The biggest issue facing Churchill is the washed-out rail line, which Ottawa and Pallister have said is the responsibility of Omnitracks. Now, the reason why we are bringing this to your attention right now is there's an article in the New York Times, actually, yesterday. The the headline, but actually, pardon me, it was uh, two days ago, August 30th, from Catherine Porter, who we actually spoke to about just a few weeks ago, about a couple of people who crossed the border over the winter and lost, one of them lost uh, all of his fingers, one of them lost most of his fingers, and the headline is Canadian Town isolated after losing rail link quote feels like hostage and i'll just read a couple of paragraphs here the last train to churchill sits behind beside the town's antique station settling into place week after week it arrived on may 23 the morning when floods washed out the track connecting this frontier town in northern manitoba on the edge of hudson bay and it hasn't moved since once a symbol of expansion and hope the passenger train has become a painful emblem of lost jobs, empty hotel rooms, and mounting hunger for the town's residents and a bellwether of climate change for scientists. Notoriously high to begin with, the price of groceries in Churchill has skyrocketed as supplies now arrive by plane. Even with emergency government subsidies in place, a four-liter jug of milk that was once cost $6.19 Canadian, or nearly 5 bucks American, now rings in at 10.89. Two small bags of produce containing just fruit, snap peas and beans cost $82.99. I can't even believe that. That just defies imagination. Well, I should turn on my microphone here. It's shocking to a lot of people that have never been to one of these remote northern communities. It's a a fact of life that food is far more expensive, but this is beyond that. And Catherine Porter joins us now. And Catherine, I apologize. I gave our producer, uh, Jeff Forche, uh, the phone number we reached yet last time. So thank you for this. I know you're in northern Ontario somewhere working on a story. Where are you today? Churchill, hi. I'm I'm up on Georgian Bay. Well, sound, oh, okay, that, that northern that's, Ontario? <laughs> that's, that's, that's north of Toronto. We call it north, you know. Uh, compared to Winnipeg, I'm very far south. Fair enough. And compared to Churchill, you, you are uh, dramatically In far south. Yeah. Without yeah. question. So, you know what? It's ironic. Like, uh, for, for the first time uh, today, we we're reading a story. And, in fact, in the notes that I had to introduce you, 
with, I said, the plate of Churchill has slipped from the headlines somewhat, unless you're reading the New York Times. And then here we are in the two o'clock news. And Brett just read and reread the story that the fact that the Palestine government seems to have a package put together. We'll put that on the back burner for now. That's great news. But tell us a little bit more about your experience and what you saw in Churchill. Um, well, that was actually my first time to uh, that close up to the Arctic Circle and to the Arctic. So it was really exciting to go there. Um, you know, Churchill, I think, has such a mythic place in the Canadian psyche, as I wrote in my piece. It, it's sort of surprising when you get there and see how small it really is. It's really a, a frontier feeling town that... Um, um, and, and many of the people I meet, they met there, they, they were super hardy in term, and, and worked multiple jobs. Like they figured out how to piece together multiple jobs in order to make a living and pay those type of prices. That even, I mean, now it's completely insane, the cost of food, but um, it's always been expensive in the North. Anyway, it is stunningly beautiful, and I can see why tourism is a... Um, a big draw, even in the summer, uh, because while I didn't see any polar bears, there are 50,000 beluga whales that hover around the edges of Churchill, and they're breathtaking. Um, but, you know, in the middle of town is this antique train station that was built in 1929, and um, there's a sign on the front that says, Trains Cancelled. And there's a train with the Canada 150 logo on it uh, that's been sitting there since May. And once you start talking to people um, about the train, they quickly unload problems that are surprising. What kind of problems, uh, for example, uh, did you hear? Well, I hadn't realized that even before the train stopped that people use that train to do grocery shopping. Um, If you were low income in Churchill... You know, before they implemented the Nutrition North, um, and even with the, the provincial subsidy of the Affirm subsidy that was in place, it's really expensive um, to, to get fresh produce and meat. So a lot of people would take the overnight train to Thompson, shop for four hours, and literally get back on the train and go back to Churchill. And they do that three or four times a year. And it would save them uh, one woman um, who, you know, is a single mom working two jobs, she said that it would save her around $5,000 each trip because she would fill up um, two cabs with groceries in those four hours um, and then go back. And and she wouldn't take the sleeper. She would ride the regular train. Um, And so, you know, she can't do that anymore. And she's facing higher grocery bills in Churchill that she couldn't afford in the first place. There's a lot of people like that. And I thought that was something I was really surprised by other small things, like I knew that tourism was going to be affected because a lot of the tourists that come up in the summer are more budget tourists. And if you've ever looked at Calm Air and the prices to get to Churchill from Winnipeg, it's like you can get to Bangkok cheaper. It is expensive. So uh, a lot of budget travelers would take the sleeper car up from Winnipeg. And uh, once the the train was it was out of the question, they canceled. So hotels were talking about 30% cancellations, 40% cancellations. Um, uh, tour guide operators ha- had seen huge cancellations also um, for tours that they were they're giving in place. But there were other things that I thought was really surprising around animals, like the all of the dog sledders that bring their food, their high-quality dog food up 
um, normally by train. Uh, and to fly it in is astronomically expensive because it's heavy, it's kibble. Um, and in the winter, it will be meat, chicken. So they're all really worried about how they're going to do that. And um, the, the owners of the hardware store, who are a lovely couple, um, they, I was in there talking to them about the troubles they're having with a hardware store because they supply a lot of the small towns up in Nunavut, um, usually in the summer with construction materials. So the orders would come down from all these towns in Nunavut, and they would fill them in Winnipeg, put them on the, uh, on the train, bring them up, and then put them on a barge and deliver them. So they lost all of that business, which they say was half of their annual business they lost um, in terms of receipts. But also, when you go behind their store, they, ha- they have a little paddock with two Icelandic horses, and they don't know how they're going to feed the horses. Um, so they were they had they were taking the horses around during the day to all of their friends' front yards and stringing up this electric fence around the horses to try and save the hay that they have to, um, for the winter. And um, when I spoke to them uh, early this week, right before my story ran, they said they finally had had buckled and had ordered hay by barge from Montreal for the winter because you know nothing grows in Churchill, mm-hmm. you know, after October. Um, and it cost them $22,000. They oh, had to cut into their RSPs. Oh, my word. And how much hay are we talking about, Catherine? Enough. To, eight bales, they said. Enough eight to get bales food. of hay? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, there's been some conversation that uh, Via may send a barge uh, up to Churchill to collect the train that's up there. Yeah. And, you know, lots of people up there have said, uh, don't even think about it. <laughs> we're gonna... yeah, they, they, they were telling me already. I mean, that rumor has been going around or there's been rumblings of that. And when I talked to Via, they, they wouldn't confirm it. They said they were looking at their options. But, you know, they're planning on, um, on blockading that train because for them, that train, while they don't blame Via... No, that train is a symbol for them, and they feel that if that train is taken out on a barge, it will be basically the kiss of death to that line. That as long as the train's there, still physically, they have hope that someone will fix that line. As I mentioned, uh, the story uh, that we ran at two o'clock, and Brett reread just as we came back on, as we were connecting with you, is the first news we've had here in Manitoba, really about Churchill in several weeks. Why? Why is the New York Times interested in telling this story? And and there are people here, and tie that into the fact that there are people here in Manitoba who have the attitude: Well, you know, why should we be subsidizing or or finding sixty or a hundred million dollars to re- repair this? this rail line for for 900 people if you can't survive uh on your own maybe the town should die yeah that's interesting that's an interesting position uh, i suppose that all of the islands in bc would be similarly cut off because the ferry is subsidized right you know all of our highways are subsidized so i think about all of those you know sioux lookout and all the towns in northern ontario that that the the highways are subsidized I was really surprised that the rail line had been sold and the port had been sold um, in the first place. Um, you know, I, I realized that there's politics here. Uh, people in town really um, don't have much nice things to say about the the American owner of the line. Um, but that wasn't that. I, I suppose that was at a time when uh, neoliberal. Um, capitalism was in play, and they thought that uh, that a private company would do 
better at um, managing a, a train line. But I, I've always would have thought of that as uh, a public amenity similar, particularly in Canada, you know, similar to a highway. It's not like in the States where most of the highways are private and you pay as you go. Most highways in Canada are public, and we, we all pay for them, no matter, you know, whether you ever drive to Thunder Bay or you ever drive to Halifax, for that matter. Um, so uh, it, is a, it is a big discussion, discussion whether you get rid of Churchill or, you know, the, the line to Churchill or not. But that's a larger discussion, too. I mean, there's, there's a new road that's going all the way up to the Arctic Circle for the first time that's been built now to Tuktoyaktuk. You know, that was, to my knowledge, built, um, you know, as a public, uh, through public funds. And generally in Canada, we think of these uh, as roads as, as public amenities. Um, and why is the New York Times? Well, the New York Times is, has, is expanding in Canada. Um, uh, the, the paper sees two things. One, that there's a lot more international interest in Canada right now. Internationally, readers are interested in what's happening in Canada. And um, there's also a market of readers. Uh, Canadian readers are the number one foreign um, subscribers uh, to the Times. So we're looking to grow that by telling not only you know international stories but Canadian stories. And who you know, Churchill is a place that is really expensive to go to. And while there's been um, a lot of really good writing actually out of the Winnipeg Free Press following the story, none of it uh, that I could find was from the ground. So we thought it would be a good um, um, a good expense to go up and and actually examine the story, talking to people face to face. I think you exhibited why uh, in the past major news networks have sent their correspondence to the story, why they go to the expense of having reporters on the ground, because it's really the only way, the best way to get the story directly. Catherine, thank you so much for this. We so appreciate the access to you and uh, hope we can do this again on a different story down the road and and keep us in mind uh, if if you you hear some more things about things going on in Churchill, you you really seem to have your fingers on the pulse there. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. All right. Catherine Porter is a reporter with The New York Times. And if you want to read the article we have been discussing, the headline is Canadian Town Isolated After Losing Rail Link Feels Held Hostage. Once again, her name is Catherine Porter. We're going to have a look at your forecast. Up next. Once again, thank you to Catherine Porter from The New York Times for uh, sharing with us her story behind the story of her visit to Churchill and uh, the New York Times uh, paying attention to that story. And uh, Brett, just bizarre coincidence that that story should come out, that the province is uh, finally maybe on the brink of announcing some sort of long-term strategy for the port of Churchill, the rail line, and the people living there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, it caught me off guard as I was reading the newscast, uh, you know, just to take you behind the curtain, as we like to do here on uh, Mackling and McGarry. When I go into the news booth and read the newscast, it's been put together by someone else for me, Much, and I much appreciate uh, the efforts of my colleagues in the newsroom today. It's Austin Siragusa taking care of that. So I go into those newscasts cold. So I'm reading them often for the very first time in the news booth as I'm reading it, bringing it to you on the air. So I was trying to read the story and also think about how I could tease the fact that we're about to talk about Churchill. Of course, I forgot to do that, but it, it, it the timing was 
I, we couldn't have planned it like that. No, not in any way. And and fairly bizarre because it has been quite quiet on the Churchill front. We hadn't even really been hearing any whispers about when we might anticipate an update because sometimes that does filter through and filter out from the government. And Catherine said something. I, I gave you the thumbs up and you nodded your head because uh, from the get-go of this crisis, I, I kind of suggested that the way I view that rail line, it should be looked at as an extension of the provincial highway system or the national highway system for that matter. And and Catherine posed that question uh, amusingly and, and wondered out loud why it's not being treated that way herself. So uh, maybe maybe there are other people who who are smarter than Catherine or myself who are looking at this and going, yeah, this, this doesn't really make sense. I just want to give you a quick uh, couple of quick sports notes before we break for Global News at 2.30. Uh, we, are, we have learned that the the, uh, the 300, sta- 300 standing room tickets that went on sale at noon for the Banjo Bowl, yes, uh, half of them have already been sold. So that's interesting. And also, as far as tennis goes, I'm gonna, let me say his name because I need to know how to say this for when I read sports tomorrow. Canada's, is it Denis or Dennis? Dennis. Dennis Shapovalov. Done perfectly. Has advanced to the third round of the U.S. Open. Woo! After British opponent Kyle Edmund retired with an injury. That's too bad for Kyle Edmund. Uh, it's really good news for Denis Shapovalov and, and for Canadian tennis. Shapovalov was leading, though, uh, by the time Edmund bowed out of the match. Global news coming up, followed by Dr. Cyrus. Just in case the microphones are open, right? It's uh, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, along with our good friend Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, drcyrus.com. And Dr. Cyrus, you and I haven't seen each other in a little while. Great to see you. Lots of changes happening in both of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's funny how quickly it happens. Yeah. yeah but uh, you and I are on the same page in terms of being ready for our kids to go to school is that fair to say it's a good time of year it's you know we're actually in the place where both of our kids are going to be out of the house during the day for the first time since for i don't know what is it five years now that we've always had somebody at home during the day so this is going to be a momentous september (laughs) how old are the kids they are currently four and three, but they are soon going to be five and three in just in a couple of weeks. And so, yeah, they're now we got one in kindergarten and one is going like all day. And that is very different. So three days of the week, we are going to be nobody, no kids at home. So are these transitions, and I know it's not our topic, but are these transitions as, as difficult potentially for parents as they are for kids? Or are they maybe more difficult for parents who have been used to having their kids around? Yeah, we say on the outside that we're excited about it. But mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that, you know, we get used to having our kids around and, and, and being homebodies. And, you know, uh, this is a, can be a stressful time for kids, right? We worry about that as parents. Oh, definitely. I think, uh, and I think, you know, it's almost somewhat related. I mean, kids are going back to school and... And I think that it has effects. You know, it's it's not quite the same as empty nest, I don't think. Uh, you know, an empty nest is something that really does affect people. I've seen that. Um, my From what I see in the clinic, more is overwrought parents. You know, I see parents who are really struggling with the demands of, of the, you know, the preschool years or the baby years. Um, maternal distress uh, is highest in, you know, I think 12, 13 years old when kids are 12, 13. But... You know, the, the physical demands of the preschool years, you know, are very significant. And I have a lot of families coming in who are just uh, really tired and kind of at each other because of it. So I normally see the, you know, beginning of preschool and care and those kind of things as being a relief, whereas the, the empty nest can be a stress. 
Why is maternal distress, uh, you said highest at ages 12 to 13? Well, I think that's when you have uh, children go for, transition from a place where they're more of an extension of a parent uh, to where you kind of see some of the fruit of the work that you put in and you never know where that's going to go. They kind of individuate, they become independent, you don't have as much control and uh, you know, they're, they're turning left on you, they're turning right on you and you don't, you don't have as much control. And that, that's really something that just causes mothers to, and, and fathers, we were, this was just looking at mothers, but causes mothers to worry. And whereas with children, you know, like with the infant, it's like, in some ways, I guess you don't have control sometimes over whether they're crying or not in some situations, but you, it's not so much about control, it's just about managing the demands. Um, and that's emotion, that's tiring and can cause, you know, you know, sadness and things like that. But it's not this quite the same as that adolescent who you love going out there and, and all of a sudden they're a different person. Well, you know, and I can attest to this. For the first time, we were out for a walk a couple of weeks ago. It was a Sunday afternoon. We were walking the dog and just talking about uh, going back to school and what are you going to do mm-hmm. when you grow up, those types of discussions. And one of my sons is just not really keen on rules right now. <laughs> and he says hey, he can't wait until he's 18 and right. then he moves out and he says, and then you won't have any more control over me. <laughs> just out of the blue. He's like a loving, caring, compassionate soul. And he's talking about, I'm like, how long have you been contemplating that? Like, are you here against your will? Would you like to leave now? Because we can arrange that. No, don't tell me. Because I'm still at the stage, my little guy. He's like, oh, can I be excused? Can I be excused? Can I be excused? And my wife's like, no, no, we have to sit at the table. We have to sit at the table. Okay, okay, you can be excused. You know, finally it comes. He gets up and he comes and sits on my lap at the table. And I'm just like, oh, if you'd said that, you know, you could (laughs) have... It could have been excused, you know. From your seat. Yeah, from your seat to come and whatever. So I'm still at that stage. So let's let's not talk about adolescence. I'm still in the glory here. I will I will I will bask in your glory. Yes, thank and, you. Uh, I, I will take this off the table. But uh, there's a little bit of a correlation here, right? In mm. terms of of this idea of of why school is so good for your kids. Yes, you know we want to keep them mm-hmm. somewhat dependent on us. I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. You want your kids a little bit dependent on you. That, that's <laughs> the time that you want as a parent. But school is so good for them, right, Brad? Yeah, I mean this uh, the, this is the subject uh, that we brought Dr. Cyrus in for today. The the name of the article, the headline is this is your brain on first grade formal schooling improves a child's attention and changes the brain so mm. that's the, uh, the the initial thought out of this article i guess so what's your reaction to that headline well i think that um this is where you get into that you know nature versus nurture how much of your attention is something you're born with your ability to pay attention that is and how much of it is learned and this is a nice piece of research i like it um you know, the kids, you know, they dealt with a bunch of kids who are, I think, kind of like me. They're born in December where you can kind of decide whether to put them ahead or, or keep them behind. And so they took a bunch of kids who are basically the same age, put, you know, half of them ahead, half of them behind. So they're all in the same age, but they can compare the effects of grade one versus staying in kindergarten where there's more free play. And yeah, the effects of actually working at your attention, of being, you know, asked by people to practice staying at your desk and paying attention to a piece of paper, doing these tasks had. Uh, actually a visible effect on the brain. Everything we do has an effect on the brain. 
uh, by the way, if you learn anything new or say anything, you're, the neurons are moving. But uh, to see a visible effect, it's a little more significant. Well, and you talk about, uh, you know, moving kids ahead or leaving them behind. There's this popular practice going on in North America right now. I don't know if it's going on anywhere else, but I know what's happening in North America. Redshirting, right? Where mm. where people are holding their kids back, uh, oh. November and December babies in particular, where normally they would start school at, right. you know, basically five and turn six while they're in, in their kindergarten year. Right. And a lot of parents are choosing to keep those kids out of school and extra year. And I think Malcolm Gladwell is a little bit uh, to blame for this uh, book, The Tipping Point, and this whole idea. He does this analogy about how hockey players, most of the best hockey players in the world are born in January, February, March. Thusly, by the time they're <laughs> seven, eight, nine years old, they are ahead of the curve dramatically and get picked for all these rep teams and then subsequently are the best players, etc., etc. And then all the way through the system, your best players are born earlier in the year. Right. And some people are looking at that and going, you know what, I can give my kid a little bit of an advantage that normally would be a disadvantage just simply based on the month of the year that they're born Oh, for sure. This is something I had to live with. I'm born in December. I was actually uh, put ahead, so I was young in my class, and I was smaller for that reason, and that was, I don't know, it probably had some effect on me. Um, I'm not going to talk about all my high school and junior high years, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the blood washes yeah. out of his face. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good time. So, uh, the, but what they show in the research is exactly what you're saying that if you put, if you keep men or boys, I guess in this case back, uh, so then they're the bigger ones in the classroom. They seem to do a little bit better. Uh, but it's the opposite for girls. So you got to be careful. Um, really? You want? I don't know what would it be blue shirting then if you put the, <laughs> if you put them ahead or. No, uh, they, they, you, but you want you want girls to um, kind of be less physically mature in as as possible. Uh, they do better. Well, I mean, you know, as possible. I mean, you don't want to uh, put them too far ahead. But like girls who mature fa- uh, mature faster physically. Uh, don't do as well socially. They get into more trouble, generally speaking. So, if you uh, if you can, it's uh, it's better to do the opposite and not have the. But with boys, yeah, it's good because then they get bigger, they they get more um, you know respect and and they do better socially. Girls, not so much. Wow, that's fascinating. I had no mm-hmm. idea there was a difference between the genders. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mentioned the you talked about how having the these formal exercises where kids are, are forced to pay attention to something. Yes. I'm just I'm wondering if uh, maybe I need to go back to grade one because <laughs> I can barely pay attention to anything. I've been trying. I can, I've been reading this book now for a couple of months and uh, I'm telling you there are some days where I'll read like yeah. half a paragraph and then I'm already uh, staring at the wall no, just my attention span is really, is really poor. Mm-hmm. This is something that, uh, you know, you learn when you are, um, you know, in school and maybe your attention is still better than it would have been if you had been born in a hunter-gatherer society or something like that. But I think that there's still things that people can do about it. Research would suggest that this is something that you can train to some degree. And, and even if you go on a computer and do your attention kind of games on there, uh, it does seem to show an effect. I, I think it's a little bit tricky to find. By the time they do research on these games, it seems that they are antiquated because games are changing so quickly. So to find a newer kind of sleek game that has a lot of research behind it is tough. Um, I forget the name of this game that they were talking about in the research, but it's uh, you know it's pretty pretty boring and basic. Um, so, but you know if you trust the idea that if you can find things that work on your short term memory or games that uh, you know work on your ability to pay attention. 
those are games that are likely going to have an effect for you. And they even have an effect on kids. They show, you know, if you work on these things with kids, even as 20 minutes a day or something like that for a few weeks, the parents and stuff are saying, hey, it's making a difference. The worst thing for me was USSR. Uninterrupted, sustained, silent reading. It was horrible. <laughs> 15 minutes every day. The classroom completely silent. But silent. People reading. I, all I want to do is get up and wander around and make noise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So, you know. I, this I, is maybe I, a good topic for uh, for the all of us here. <laughs> <laughs> just go back. All of my report cards are disruptive, talks too much, the, right from this grade is, one. This is the, the to, comment. This is the comment that's not living up to potential. Oh, <laughs> this I heard is a that comment. one once too. Yes. Oh, or, or 36 times, right? Yes. You got three to four cards a year? Yeah. I was wondering where you're going with USSR. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be a certain age and from, I think, the Winnipeg School Division to, to know USSR uninterrupted, sustained, silent. And the second oh S goodness. was the most difficult one for me. So, reading. So were you always the kid who would kind of be like maybe flipping pages and looking oh, around? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Can we do something else now? This is really boring. Next. <laughs> Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is our guest. He's a clinical psychologist. His website is drcyrus.com. And we're talking here back to school next week, so we're talking about an article here on psychology today. This is your brain on first grade. Formal schooling improves a child's attention and changes the brain. And we'll continue our chat after we look at your forecast. Up next. Brad, I'm going to have you set up this conversation again so I don't uh, take it right off the rails as I'm bound to do. The, the headline I will read, this is your brain on first grade. Formal schooling improves a child's attention and changes the brain. This is an article on psychology today that we're discussing with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He is a clinical psychologist. His website is drcyrus.com. And the, the crux of this article is that they took a, a, a few dozen kids that they researched. Some of them were, they were all born in December, so that's a time of year where you can either be held back or that you can be bumped ahead and so so half of the kids were bumped ahead and they were went into first grade and then some of them stayed behind and went into kindergarten and then they just kind of tested gave them some tests uh, at the beginning of the year and then at the end of the year and it was clear that the first graders were a little bit more advanced so dr. Cyrus that makes a reference here to something I'll just read this line. And the study also gives us a little more insight into the wondrous things happening in children's brains during what's known as the five to seven shift. Hmm. What are they talking about there? The well, five I think, to seven shift. You know, every, I mean, every part of, uh, of childhood has its own kind of developmental kind of part. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, you, you talk about how important, great, you know, age five to seven is. Well, I mean, you could argue zero to two, you know, the you know, attachment and and all these kind of things. I, I think that, you know, every part and the younger you are, the more important these parts are. Uh, but after you after you hit age seven or age eight, you kind of get into this place where you're more there aren't as many big kind of steps developmentally. I mean, you got puberty coming, I guess, but uh, there's not as many big steps where it's like before I couldn't do this. Now I can um, once you hit age seven, it's more like I can do this. And every time I do it, I get better. 
And I think that's one of the big things that happens when you hit, you know, six, seven, eight, is you just have these kind of little people who can do most things, but they don't do them well, and then they just kind of get better and better at it. I Actually, and I'm just thinking now, uh, as far as the way the brain is shaped, uh, just from my own personal experience, and this is kind of embarrassing when I think about it, but I remember being outside of a coal central, and I guess this was for for kindergarten because it was the first time I was there and there was just this sea of kids and I had never been around that many kids mm. before. I'd always just been in a single classroom sort of or daycare or whatever. And the, the noise coming from mm. all the kids, it was the first time I had been exposed to that. And I didn't know how to process the information. I didn't know what the noise was. I didn't realize that it was just kids oh, talking and laughing to each other, but I hadn't, it was something that was new to me and I didn't know right. how to, accept that information so i guess what i'm getting at here is uh there's a lot of a lot of wires being formed i suppose in those first couple of years yeah and it's amazing to see kids uh it's a wonderful thing to see kids they just love the fact that yesterday i can't do something today i can and you know you just see a lot of that around that age that's for sure are these the formative years or later and you know as we head towards eight nine ten you know i always talk about my time in brandon was grade four to grade seven i would say i i think growing up in brandon as part of and i refer to those as my formative years as being a good kid Mm. Because I always wonder, you know, if because uh, I know how some of my friends mm-hmm. <laughs> who I grew up with when I was younger turned out in, mm-hmm. in the old neighborhood. I always wondered, you know, if if uh, the fact that I was in Brandon helped me out a little bit because, uh, you know, kids were, were a little bit different there. What are the genuinely the, the formative years, so to speak? Well, I think those years you're talking about are probably the formative year, the earliest formative years that you can remember. That being said, I think the younger you get... Uh, the more significant the effects are of kind of veering off off a healthy course. So uh, even in utero, um, you know, fetal alcohol effects or fetal mm-hmm. alcohol syndrome has a, a much more dramatic effect on, you know, the outcome of a, of a child and kind of what they're able to do and what they're not able to do. When you get to zero to two uh, or zero to one, the, you know, children similarly as in utero, they can't remember, you know, what, what's happening during that time. But in terms of, you know, being able to relate to people and trust people, it's absolutely critical. And, and to kind Starts of, that early. Oh, yeah. Like if, if you aren't, uh, if you kind of come out of that experience feeling like, you know what, if I cry, nobody cares, you know, then you're coming out of that experience saying, I can't trust people. And it's really hard to work with because you come out of it and you're like, I don't trust people and I don't know why. You know, because I don't remember that insult. I don't remember that time when, when that uh, when that didn't happen. So you know, for sure, you know, six to ten and stuff. Those are really important, um, and they're the times when we remember remember the formative years. Uh, and adolescent is you know when we start really participating in our own formation. So those are all really important. But in terms of like really affecting children in in ways that are hard to come back from, the younger you get, the, the bigger the effect. So even when they're just crawling around and they're they're not quite sentient yet, oh, they're yeah. just driven by instinct. You can, if you, I don't know, like if I say something to my child, like mm-hmm. ah, he's mm-hmm. not going to remember that because yes. he's just a baby. <laughs> that I, I shouldn't be doing that. That's a mistake. <laughs> well, I mean, you could say all kinds of horrible things to children, and it might not make a difference if you say it in a nice tone. Uh, because they don't understand what you're saying. But if you say all kinds of wonderful things to a child in a horrible tone, uh, you know, it's it's about the communication that you're having with them. And, and I think I, I would definitely back up what you're saying, that, you know, the way we treat those, those children, um, you know, they can't remember it, 
but it has a dramatic effect on uh, on how they are able to adapt. I mean, a lot of parents, I hear this actually more frequently, a lot of parents want to give their their kids tough times in order to make it more realistic or things like this. And I'm all about, I love expectations, I like challenge for children. But, you know, the peop- the kids who go through the, the hardest times in life are children, you know, who are underprivileged or live in abusive environments and stuff like that. And they've, you know, it, categorically, those children have a way harder time in fact, I got another. We were talking about brain changes that brought one for, about trauma. The trauma that children experience during that time it doesn't make them tougher. It just doesn't. It makes them have a much harder time thriving. They, you know, they did an experiment with rats where they took some rats and they tickle them, you know, and, and raise them right with a feather duster. You know, the cuddling. Other rats they don't get the feather duster. They put them in a bucket of water, and the, and the rats that aren't feather dusted that don't get cuddles they drown. And the and the ones that are taken care of properly. They just keep swimming because they believe, you know, they have hope and they're still attached. Wow. Jeez. We'll have to talk about that another time. That's uh, fascinating stuff, Dr. Cyrus. Thank you so much. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, clinical psychologist, his website, drcyrus.com. Still to come next hour after th- after 3.30, we're talking to Scott Thompson from the Kids in the Hall. We're also talking about Labor Day Classic preview with Kelly Moore after Global News. All right, Brett, I know uh, sometimes you get suckered into the sportsing stuff. Yay! Uh, maybe reluctantly. What about this weekend? Do, will you have any inclination to listen to and or watch the Labor Day Classic on Sunday? Uh, Honestly. I'll, what time does it start? Three o'clock. Our time? Yeah, I'll put it on when I'm driving home from Kingswood. Oh, there you go. Okay, so you'll combine the the, the, the football game and the driving. That's Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry with you. Mackling and McGarry, Friday afternoon. Happy Labor Day. Of course, that marks really the beginning of the second half of the Canadian Football League season. The Blue Bombers 7-2, and two, Saskatchewan 4-4. Four and four, But the Rough Riders have won two games in a row, looking very impressive offensively. The Bombers 7-2 and two, have won five games in a row. The Records of these two teams historically has not mattered on this game. There have been some very bad Saskatchewan teams that have beaten some very good Winnipeg teams in Regina during the Labor Day Classic. And Kelly Moore put together a fantastic, comprehensive history of the Labor Day Classic. And we'd like to share it with you now. It is the last gasp of summer. Hiralahu delivers from 41, and the Bombers go back in front. A sure sign that fall is in the air. And he's going to go long for McDuffie, open at the 45, the 40, McDuffie the 30, he's gone, Quincy McDuffie. The start to the second half of the Canadian Football League season, and it has been that way for well over a half century. The ageless one, Paul McCallum, comes out to kick a... 26-yard field goal, Dressler the holder. Over the 67 years the game has been played, heroes have turned into villains and vice versa. Joined from the Bomber locker room by Weston Dressler, who had seven catches for 77 yards on his return to Saskatchewan. But in the previous 52 editions, one thing has remained constant. The Labor Day Classic is the game of the year in Regina. And the guys wearing the black hats are always the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We've played against Saskatchewan some years where they were just horrible. They had horrible records. And it's almost like they know, well, as long as we win this game, you know, our fan base will stay with us and keep buying merchandise and supporting the entire province of Saskatchewan. So 
They take this game very seriously, and you know, you want to talk about home field advantages. It's ridiculous at the Labor Day. It's home province advantage, and people come in from everywhere. It's just a zoo. It's a carnival there, right? Whether the days before the game, and now that it's getting more competitive, now that more Blue Bomber fans are, are, are coming back and getting involved and going out there and everything, it's just adding to the circus. It's a sideshow. Former Bomber great Doug Brown, who continues to make the annual trek to Saskatchewan's Queen City as the analyst on 680 CJOB for Bob Irving, who will be covering his 41st Labor Day Classic on Sunday. And from the booth to the gridiron, it's hard to believe there would be any player on either team who's been a part of more Labor Day Classics in Regina than legendary blue bobber putter Bob Cameron. My first year, and I'll never forget it, we were, uh, it was in the first quarter, it was a huge win. I'm punting from our 20-yard line. They came with a big rush. I tried to draw a roughing the punter call, and I'm on my back. I look up, and I see the ball land about 15 yards down the field and start bounding backwards, and one of bounds in our 12. So I punted from our 20, and we end up scrimmaging from our 12. So to say the least, my coach was not too happy with me. By the way, that coach for the 1980 Classic, Ray Ock. And suffice to say, Bob Cameron mastered the art of punting into a stiff prairie breeze. And three years later, he was witness to a game that is still regarded in Regina as the best Labor Day classic ever, at least from the Rough Rider perspective. Dave Ridgway got injured in the game. Ken Clark, the punter, is now the field goal kicker and punter. Well, he hasn't kicked any field goals since high school, and Ken was in his late 30s at that time. And so Ken Clark goes out for a 46-yard field goal, and we're thinking, oh, we got this game for sure. Bang, he puts it through from 46 yards and last play of the game, and beats us. That game really sticks in my mind, too. And I, I guess the thing that happened in that uh, game, too, or be- before that, Ken Clark's mother had passed away that week. and He had been in practice the whole week. And so for him to come out and do that was just phenomenal for him, and I, I'll, I'll never forget that one. The late Cal Murphy was at the helm of the Bombers for that game, and while Cameron has tried to erase the 55-11 loss in the 1990 LDC, apparently another Winnipeg coaching icon, Mike Riley, has not. Every time I talk to Mike, it seems we go back to that game, and he says he uses that as motivation for his team, saying, you know, even if you get blown out, and he talked about his championship team, in 1990, he says he talks to his players down in Nebraska about it. For some reason, that game, of all the games, he brings up quite often because it was such a shock. When we, you know, we were favored in that game, and to lose by that big a score is, you know, that just doesn't happen. True enough, but Doug Brown certainly remembers another one of those scenarios where Winnipeg supposedly had it in the bag his final year in 2011 when the 7-1 Blue Bombers were supposed to mop the floor with the 1-7 Riders. Everyone decides for you as a football team after the fact, if you lose a game and you have a good record and you're expected to win, you're like, oh, well, they got cocky. and they. Did. I never sensed any of those things going into Labor Day. It's just they're always hard games, and there's you have to be really on top of it. They're so inspired by their fan base and their crowd and the noise. And it takes a lot, especially offensively, for you to operate and execute at a high level with that those kind of decibels around you, right? So I'm going to blame it on the offense. Oh, there was plenty of blame to go around during that 11-year stretch from 2005 through 15 when Bomber fans left Taylor Field totally despondent and sometimes downright embarrassed. 
Does any member of Bomber Nation even want to recollect that 2012 52 to nothing shellacking in Tim Burke's first game as head coach? We just didn't generate any offense, obviously, and, and uh, we played extremely poorly in the first half. Really got nothing going, and then after a while, I think, you know, the defense is out there for a long time, and they feel like, you know, they just can't catch a break, and, and so... You know, I think things snowballed there at the end of the first half. The more than decade-long drought finally came to an end last year in Labor Day Classic number 52. Medlock is celebrating already, and he's made his seventh field goal of the game, and the Bombers have won the Labor Day Weekend Classic for the first time since 2004, 28-25. And that's why former Ryder quarterback Darian Durant sees the hype for the Labor Day Classic being restoked to an even more feverish pitch. You could just see people coming in from, you know, all over the country coming in for that game, whether they're a Ryder fan or a Winnipeg fan. Uh, you know, the city was always lit up for that weekend. You know, you knew you were going to get a good game, and that, that rivalry uh, is definitely picked back up since the, the success that Winnipeg has had over the past couple of years, and uh, it'll only continue to get, to get better as long as those, te those teams are competitive. All told, since this game began in 1949, and, and there have been a few years where it wasn't played, the last was in 1982, those Melonheads have had the chance to belt out their fight song 34 times. Supporters of the Blue and Gold on only 18 occasions. Along the way, there have been a few lopsided laughers, mostly one by Saskatchewan, and nine others where the game was decided by a field goal or less, all but one in the favor of the Blue Bombers. So. Who knows what this Sunday will bring? But as Doug Brown points out, the one guarantee is it is going to be special. That new stadium, this is going to be the first Labor Day Classic in that barn. This is going to be something that they're going to take quite personally as well. Coverage gets underway at 1 o'clock here on 680 CGB. Doug Brown, Bob Irving, cast of thousands, and then the kickoff at 3. Christian O'Mel, myself, Austin Saragusa, and Keith McCullough on Sports Sunday, noon until 1. We will hash out a few things about the uh, Labor Day Classic as well. And then, of course, the Banjo Bowl, the return matchup. Uh, we want to let you know half roughly of the 300 Banjo Bowl standing room tickets that were announced for sale around noon today are gone. That was as of 2.15 this afternoon. If you'd like to win tickets to the Banjo Bowl, go to the Blue Bomber podcast and then text in the secret word contained in the podcast. I'm going to have tickets to give away. Doug Brown and I will on the podcast for you to go to the Banjo Bowl next week. Two tickets, very coveted tickets indeed. 317, we'll check traffic and weather next. So in about 15 minutes time, we're going to welcome in, according to IMBD, the, the, the film page, you know, the film gospel, yep. the 34th funniest Canadian in films, and we have the 34th greatest Canadian sitting here in the studio. Al Anderson, by the way, is the name. So let me get this right then. <laughs> so what you're saying is 
funny is more important than great because he is bumping me out of my regular Mackling and McGarry spot. Uh, do we even have to ponder that with all due respect? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fine. I understand, You like boys. us because we're honest, right, Hal? I love you guys because you're honest. No problems with that at all. Uh, yeah, that's he, that's fantastic that you're getting him in here. That's great. Yeah, and a uh, uh, shout out to our old friend Joanne who used to work here once upon a time. We'll leave her last name out mm-hmm. of it. Don't want to get her in trouble anywhere else. Yes, right. Who uh, helped me uh, organize this for today at a very last very moment. Very good. So, well, uh, I'm happy to be here. Actually, I'm kind of happy we're getting back to normal here, right? You know, all the fill-in stuff is, is ended so that, you know, now I can come in on Fridays and tell you guys what I got coming up. So tomorrow on my show, 7 to 10, I'm here Sunday as well. Uh, tomorrow, Stuart Brecken. He is the guy that him and his pensioner buddies uh, painted the elevator up in Inglis. So we're going to, the job is done. The pictures look beautiful. We're going to get an update from him on that uh, coming up tomorrow. Melissa Plett. You guys may remember her. She worked in this building. Greg, you might not have been here then, but I think Brett was. And uh, Melissa's got a new album out. She lives in Nashville now. And wow. so, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. And what else? Oh, and Bob Irving. There's a bit of a football game apparently going on this weekend. Yeah, we've been talking about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you're going to talk about it a little bit yes, more? Yes, Bob will be on tomorrow and on Sunday. No such thing as too much Labor no. Day Classic discussion. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, boys. That's what's coming up tomorrow. Hal Anderson, weekends, 680 CJOB, 7 to 10 tomorrow and Sunday. Well, as so often is the case, a lot of the funniest stuff takes place when the microphones are off. We That's try exactly to, true. We try to avoid that 100%, but uh, we'll try and wrap it up a little bit. Scott Thompson, Kids in the Hall of Fame, is here. He's here you in Winnipeg. You need to tell him I was hilarious about five minutes ago. Are you kidding me? I was on yeah. the floor rolling down. Yeah. Laughing. Brett had to pick me five up. Minutes. And then he turned the mics on and went, oh, okay. Okay, I don't feel so great now. Yeah, yeah, turning down, dialing down I the dialed energy. Down, dialed down. Odd Block Comedy Festival. Very proud to present Scott Thompson Park Theater, September first. Geez, there it is in black and white. It is in fact September first. That's tonight. Uh, doors at seven fifteen and show at eight. You can go online, uh, Park Theater, check it out, and uh, get. Ki- tickets for that so we thank you for taking some time thank you very much i'll try to be funny from now on you now don't the need to be funny on. we just want to communicate okay i just want i just want to communicate effectively that's what i'll try to do i'll try to communicate oh i didn't was i off before no you're on now. <laughs> i can hear myself oh can you hear yourself now yeah i can okay it's good nice and echoey yeah you've got a great voice for radio oh thank you i'm we going were, to communicate effectively we were talking about podcasts and i asked you if you're doing a podcast I, uh, and you said I used to do one. I did one for five years. I did. And that turned into a conversation about being first. Being and how first. No money in first. first sometimes. It sucks to be first. Yeah, there's no money in first. Uh, people don't quite have the uh, equipment to see things when they're outside the box so much. And then the second time they go, oh, it's starting to get clear. And then once it's third, it's all crystal clear and they can go, oh, I can make money from that. I think that of the kids in the hall in many ways. We were like, huge. people didn't quite, re- I think people look back on our work now and go, holy Crap, those guys were ahead of their time. Um, well, that you know what we got. No. We just got a text here that From leads who? into a question. Uh, t- Greg Kostefko has texted hey, us. Hey, Greg, how you doing? I was hoping he would text. And he says, "Buddy, call for prime minister." Oh, okay. And uh, that just, would be a disaster. Well, I wanted to play a <laughs> Not clip. Necessarily, you had this this bold character, Buddy Cole, who tackled issues of prejudice. I just want to play a twenty second clip for him. <laughs> That's all sound can... not funny. No, no. Tackled issues of prejudice. Well, <laughs> Come on. Come on. I'm not the funny man. Come on. Tackle issues of prejudice. That'll be everybody's turning the radio off right now. That sounds hilarious. I'm surprised you found 20 seconds you can play. Well, and that leads it. Hang, just hang on a sec. Okay, sorry. (laughs) 
They say. Oh, they say. The blacks are inferior. That's what they say. they like to dance and screw around. Buddy, seriously? Excuse me? Excuse me. <laughs> You're not talking now because I wouldn't be allowed to talk like that now. I love to dance. Of course you do. And as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> screwing is next to godliness. Absolutely. So that was, that's about as much as we can play on the air. You can. What's your problem? <laughs> Why there's no swearing in that? But he never swears. Is it because the ideas are too incendiary? No, but there is some language in there that no, I, would, not. I would be uncomfortable putting on. I want you to tell me what the language is that makes you uncomfortable. Oh, uh, well, there's a certain F word that I cannot Fun. repeat. What's that? Fun? <laughs> Fiduciary? <laughs> no. You know the I one. Know what of course, that is. faggot. Faggot is yeah. the word that most of us would be uncomfortable saying. Of course you are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Has that changed? <laughs> what? What do you mean? Has it changed for you? No, has it changed? Has it changed overall? Because it, it seems oh God, to me yeah. that, that that word is it less or more acceptable now? Oh, it's very unacceptable now. Right. Unless unless you're Floyd Mayweather, because he got to call Conor McGregor a faggot and no one said anything. I thought it was quite interesting. Um, yes, I think it's interesting because absolutely it, it's not acceptable now. But at the same time, what's interesting is that because of that, you're censoring my piece so that it doesn't get out there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's, it is. It's for kind sure. of ironic that people, like, good liberals mm -hmm. trying to protect the uh, sensibilities of gay people or whatever, censor the material to protect them, thus keeping the material from them, which I find ironic. Well, I, so I, how should we handle that then? You should just I, play it and just play it and, and then discuss it. I don't believe in anything being unsayable. I don't believe in the taboo of words, not certain words not being allowable. I don't agree with that. Well, we had the conversation in the newsroom when we knew that you were going to come in today. Oh, did you? We were, <laughs> we were discussing. Oh, I wish I was there. It, Fly in the wall for that one. It was good. <laughs> and because the, the ultimate question was, where would it fit today? Would kids in the hall be allowed no, on God, the no. air today, right? No, we no. have this discussion about all in the family. You go back that far. Right, you yeah. wonder, you know, even with Family Guy, even with The Simpsons, even now with they, South Park and some yeah, of the edgy no. programming. Those are all cartoons, by the way. And, and you, cartoons make, get away they, with it. Why do, they, why do cartoons get away with it? Because they're not actually human beings. Um, but it's incredible what South Park will get away with. But that could not be done with live action people. Which is, an, which is very interesting. It doesn't really make same. any sense. The words are the same. The words are the same. The, the context is the same. The comedy is the same. It's a weird distinction that we make between actual human beings and digital human beings. But I, I, my belief, I'm an absolutist about free speech. I, I really believe that it all should be allowed. And, and then you talk about it and then you don't bury it. Because I think when you bury things, they can achieve, they can get more power. No, you know. when I said tackled issues of prejudice, you're right. I, I made it I sound not funny. You made it sound unfunny. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, Buddy did lots more than that. Well, and and, and I'm, I'm not a. That's why I'm not at the Park Theater tonight, and that's why you are. Because no, you're but the, you're you're also trying to be. Um, you're trying not to offend me, and you're trying to do the right thing, and that's all wonderful. No, no, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not trying to not offend you. I actually was celebrating it because you know what I watched. I, uh, it's been a while since I've seen Buddy Cole, but when yeah. I watched that, it was the racism clip. Uh, yeah, that's that, a good one. And Buddy Cole points out how ridiculous it yes. is, and that was that's a clip that's over. I mean, when did you that, record that's that? That's one of my second. That's like maybe my third monologue. That would have been recorded in 1991. So that's like 25, 26 years ago. So a long time two, ago. So over two decades later, yeah. 
Where almost do you think, three decades. How just far have we advanced? From well, from you where couldn't. That, was. that monologue would not fly today. And a lot of people would say, "Oh, that's good that we don't have that kind of language." But I'm not sure about that. I, I don't agree with that. I actually think that we should allow all all kinds of expression and then discuss it. Um, but political correctness would have made that monologue. One another thing. It's not just the language and the topics that Buddy approaches there. It's also the portrayal of Buddy Cole. I think some people today might. I mean, I do know that they some of them find Buddy Cole himself problematic, as they did back then. Um, but now it's much more vocal about it um, because they'll say, "Oh, it's a it's a caricature. It's a stereotype." But that's comedy is built on caricatures and stereotypes, and there's you know what I mean. There's reasons for a lot of them. And just because he's a super effeminate male, that doesn't make him a bad thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, well, it's certainly... And there's lots of guys that are like him. I was going to say, it certainly doesn't mean that. To pretend that that's not true is just delusional. Right. And so, you know, you mentioned the whole idea of burying these ideas and not talking about them and not making them free. Do you think that's what's part of what's happened in our society? It just before our very eyes in the last few weeks, we've had these ideals, things that we thought were dead and buried, but actually were not. They were just living beneath yes, the abso- surface. Absolutely. Yes. And that's because I think we are incapable of truly looking at our past and truly looking at the way things really are. I think people are really uncomfortable because it, it, it opens up a Pandora's box and it, it not many people are capable of dealing with that. People think that when you open it up, it will, you know, it'll, It'll all escape, but then we keep reburying it. And every time we rebury it, I think it gives think it more it, power. It gives it more power. It's like when you know that thing they have in uh, Denmark where they have fish and they bury them for months and then it comes it's stinky and powerful and fermented and then they eat it. That's what I think happens. <laughs> I'm gonna have to Google that, Scott. I think I think that all of our problems, all of our prejudices, are stinky fish. We bury them, thinking that they're not going to, you know, oh, get rid of them. But then when they, we unbury them or dig them up, <laughs> unbury them, they're stinkier. <laughs> unbury them. <laughs> and I just think that you know. And right now, I think what's fascinating is that we are now in a place where we really are seeing the approach of a world like in the West, where white people do not dominate. Right. Like in where I'm from, different parts of the there's lots of places already in North America where that's happening. So it's a real thing. Like 25 years ago with us, it was more hypothetical. Now it's real. And we all could look around and go, oh, my God, it's true. White people are about to make a shift change. Yeah, the mathematics and the predictions were accurate. Yeah, and that's fascinating. And a lot of people are. And I'm shocked because I assumed that everybody was aboard, but they're not. We're going to pause the conversation with Scott Thompson. He is at the Park Theatre tonight at 8 o'clock. And we will just very quickly, caller number six, for we got to give these last pair of tickets away for WSO Arrival from Sweden, the music of ABBA, happening September 22nd to the 24th at the concert hall. Caller number six, 204-780-6868. After traffic and weather, we will continue our chat with Scott Thompson <laughs> up next. He's here to do some stand-up comedy tonight at the Park Theatre, 8 o'clock. Uh, former Kids in the Hall cast member, Still kid in the hall. Are you still a kid in the yeah, hall? No, no former. That will never, ever never. stop. Never. It's the mafia. You don't get out. <laughs> you leave in a casket. <laughs> Absolutely. Scott no. Thompson no is with out. us. We were trying to make some analogies here about the, the working conditions that we have here. We're talking about censorship off the air, et cetera. 
And uh, we get text messages here continuously throughout the day on all our shows. And I tried to correlate it for you a little bit, Scott. And the idea of letting the we it, it's like letting the hecklers uh, in your world right on the stage. Wow, that's because not good. these messages come up right in our faces while we're speaking. Right. right? We have to click click on them, and then it's like you get something like this. Thank you for stopping. One, two, three, four exclamation marks. I was starting to think you were having a gay argument. This oh. is from Denny, and these are the sorts of things that people feel comfortable saying right. because they're hiding behind the text message they yeah. won't call in and say something like no. that but they'll text it yeah well you know we were about to have a gay conversation <laughs> he, he's right it was it was gonna be a gay argument right i was gonna go i don't like your shirt i don't like your shirt your shirt's so blousy well at least i'm not wearing a blouse that's a gay argument <laughs> at least i'm wearing a shirt that's blousy not an actual blouse oh really get her that's a gay argument Oh, I mean, who I'll won, be... though? Who won? Who that won? One? We was... both win. We, we, who we wins? All... Uh, I don't know. Kmart wins. We all win. Target wins. <laughs> Wherever you got the Reitman's. Target. Remember, we don't have that anymore. <laughs> Do we have any of those anymore? Target is uh, gone. What about Reitman's? Reitman's, have... Reitman's look. Jim right Reitman's. Over, right over your shoulder. Reitman's wins. Right outside the window. <laughs> Reitman's wins. Bre- uh, Brett's. Polyester wins. Rayon wins. Reitman wins. We all win. We all win. Brett McGarry's uh, partner on a show called The Couch Potatoes is uh, Jeff Braun. They talk about TV and movies and all sorts of stuff. And right. and, and Jeff wants to know what's the worst oh. kids in the hall line people yell at you on the street. Worst line? Yeah, you know, people like trying to make a connection with you, right? They'll, oh, I'm crushing your head, probably. Yeah, almost always. Yeah. We, we got a text saying, I'm yeah. squishing your head. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that would be the number one thing. Um, or gotta get laid. You know, that would be another one from a chicken lady or, <laughs> chicken lady. you know, I don't know. That Those would be the two big ones. Or cabbage head. Maybe those are the big three. Boy, you guys have such a catalog of, of incredible work. Kevin McDonald, of course, lives uh, in Winnipeg. A uh, Winnipegian. Pegger. A pegger. Winnipegger. Winnipegger. Or just, or just that means something different now, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. Pegger, pe- pegger works, too. Hey, someone wanted that to works know. both ways, actually. Oh, we'll learn more about that <laughs> off the air. Uh, any chance Kevin shows up at the show tonight? No, I already talked to Kevin. He's out of town. Yeah. Hockey, so he's not Hockey? Taking him out of town. Yeah, he's uh, yeah he's, he's <laughs> a hockey, hockey tournament. Now, right? um, now, I don't know where. I think Kevin's doing st- um, some workshop somewhere. Kevin's okay. always on the road. Okay, so if yeah. you're hoping to see Kevin and Scott on the stage tonight together, it's not going to happen. But no. that doesn't mean you shouldn't go. Absolutely, Reitman will win if you don't go. If you guys don't go, Reitman wins. Are you wearing a blouse? Tonight? I'm wearing a blouse. Yeah, <laughs> very light blouse. I'll have a fan behind Chenille. me, so it'll like it'll move in the in the in the wind. You know what I mean? And my nipples will be, oh, they'll be, oh, they'll be so hard and <laughs> the fabric will keep brushing against them. And occasionally you'll hear me giggle and go, oh, oh, it's so, God, I should have put tape over them before I started the show. Scott Thompson, folks. Reitman's wins. I will be in a lovely blouse from Reitman's. Scott Thompson, Park Theater, tonight at 8 o'clock. Doors open 7.15. Tickets are 20 bucks uh, in advance. And uh, get myparktheater.com for more information. Scott Thompson, I wish we had more time. Thank yeah, you so thanks, much. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was fun. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Okay. Oh, McGarry oh, and CDCG. Oh. oh, we got to congratulate Peter Crawford on the uh, won the WSO ABBA tickets. Congratulations, Peter. Scott, you like ABBA? Congratulations. What? You like ABBA? I love ABBA. Who doesn't love ABBA? Just yeah. making sure. Of course uh, I love ABBA. Here, I'll just quickly mention Cottage Country Weather right now. Brought to you by South Beach Casino. Oh, South Beach Casino and Resort. Studio. 
Golf time. South Beach has teamed up with four of the best courses in Manitoba. Packages start at $180. Group packages available. Book your getaway. For the Interlake, Grand Beach, and the White Shell, clearing tonight. Low 12, mainly sunny tomorrow, but hazy, high 27. And on Sunday, mix of sun and cloud with a high 20. That's your Cottage Country forecast on 680 CJOB.